to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. Hey there, I am once again very excited for this week's episode and discussion, and we will not shy away from tough and controversial subjects. We have experienced civil unrest related to law enforcement in our country, and when it comes to drugs, there are people who view law enforcement as the bad guys. Today's caller supports the police, but he has some good questions. Let's hear a question from Jake Hardison, who has some reservations. Hi, Dr. Lev. My name's Jake. I'm 22 years old. I just wanted to say I'm loving the podcast so far. High Truths has been so interesting and informative, so thank you for that. Uh, I had sort of a different type of question. I was wondering if there's anything that law enforcement does about drugs besides just arresting people. That's a tough question question and one that must be answered by somebody in law enforcement. And the perfect person for this question is a man who leads and coordinates with multiple law enforcement agencies and is my good friend, David King, director of the San Diego and Imperial County Haida, high intensity drug trafficking areas. Uh, Let me briefly show off about director King. His bio is on the high truth show notes. He has an extensive career in service, public safety, and issues of drugs. He studied political science at the University of San Diego. He served as a San Diego County Sheriff's Academy, becoming Peace Officer of the Year in 1995. He was Special Agent for California Department of Justice, Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement. He worked in a clandestine laboratory uh, program. He directed a counter-drug strategy for 19 federal, state, and law enforcement agencies and has given high-level briefings to officials in the U.S. Congress, Senate, and state. He's educated thousands of parents, teachers, students, and community members on the dangers of of drugs. Dave, welcome to High Truths. Thank you, Dr. Lev. It's great to be on your show. And can we start with, you know, what is Haida? I didn't know what it was a a few years ago. Um, And can you just tell us what it is? Well, the HIDA program, it stands for High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, was actually created by Congress in 1988. So it's been around for over 30 years. All 50 states have designated counties that are eligible to receive federal funds to combat narcotics trafficking for prevention uh, in some HIDA treatment. So here in California, we have four high intensity drug trafficking areas. My county, San Diego and Imperial County, the Haidas, uh, are part of the Southwest border, high intensity drug trafficking area, which is one of the very first uh, created in the early 90s. So it provides specialty funds so that we can help federal, state and local law enforcement come together with prosecution and intelligence to combat major narcotics trafficking. It was interesting. The first time I heard about Haida is when I was heading our uh, safe prescribing uh, medical group in San Diego County, and we had our program and we needed to get some money in order to print some brochures. And the money came from Haida. And I thought, why does a law enforcement agency want to give money to doctors? Um, but you did. 
Well, that's, you know, it's collaboration. So when you look at uh, your, your viewer's question, as far as what does law enforcement do? Uh, do we just put people in jail? Well, well, that's part of it. Okay. So for many years, uh, I started out as a local police officer in San Diego in 1989, right out of college. And I quickly learned that the majority of crimes on my beat were related to, to drug abuse and, and drug usage and drug sales. So the domestic violence calls, the burglaries, the rapes, the robberies, the assaults, auto thefts, were all people that were either under the influence of drugs or alcohol, uh, mostly drugs and methamphetamine here in San Diego County. Uh, they were committing crimes because they were high or needed to support a habit. So when we, when I made arrests under what was called 11550, we have a great code, 11550 Health and Safety Code here in the state of California that allows peace officers that are specially trained to observe people under the objective symptomology of methamphetamine, heroin, and cocaine. So I quickly learned that a lot of those people that were high were committing the crimes, and I arrested them for being under the influence of a controlled substance. Uh, back in the mid-90s, early 2000s, you do up to 90 days in county jail. But when you were looking at county jail and you were sent to county jail, you also had access to treatment. So by bringing people into the criminal justice system, we were getting them help for mental health services, for uh, medical treatment. In a lot of cases, people were homeless. Um, we got them treatment through the courts, through drug courts, which was extremely important. In my estimation, this is where we're failing. So right now, law enforcement doesn't make a lot of a 11550 H&S, Health and Safety Code arrests in the state of California, because the public has just said that there's a very low um, priority on that. Uh, the folks aren't in jail and COVID has made it even worse because many people aren't getting booked. So they don't have access to court mandated treatment. And so when people think that we just arrest people for drug violations, um, it's that's just part of the story because once they get to the courts, the courts order rehabilitation. And that's ultimately the goal is to get people clean uh, and healthy and back to being productive members of society of, of which they once were. And court mandated treatment has saved people's lives. I've seen that firsthand. San Diego County was one of the first. Uh, we had a DA, uh, Bonnie DeManis, uh, who was a judge and she was one of the first uh, to have drug courts and police officers oftentimes who had arrested defendants would be at graduations when they would graduate from drug court. And, uh, you know, it, it, to me, it was a big success story. And so many hundreds of people that have been arrested, uh, former addicts that are now clean, all state that getting arrested was the low point. They lost their homes. They lost their families. They lost their careers. They lost their possessions, uh, the respect of their loved ones when they were incarcerated. And that was the low point combined with getting court mandated treatment um, of getting them back on the road to recovery. So that's really what it is all about. You know, I see people come to the emergency department with law enforcement to get jail clearance to go to jail. 
And uh, when I talk to them, and some of them are receptive, I say, you know, I'm sorry this happened to you, but take this as an opportunity. There are some programs and resources now to you that weren't available before. If you understand that what happened to you today is related to drugs, then there is hope really and opportunities that you should take advantage of that really sometimes are not available on the outside for people. Well, it's so true, Dr. Lev. And so I've always analyzed uh, as far as drug abuse, drug usage, uh, as far as a triangle. So you have law enforcement uh, who incarcerates individuals, who makes arrests. The criminal justice system is just one tip of that, of that triangle. Then you have prevention, education, and awareness. Uh, all of the programs, your 501c3s, not-for-profits, uh, non-governmental organizations in the state of California, your drug-free communities that work really hard with youth and programs in the community to keep people off drugs. And then you also have treatment. Uh, of which you're uh, a major component of as well. So medically assisted treatment through the HIDA overdose response strategy uh, all have to be equal parts in combating what I feel is the number one threat to the United States of America, to our society and to democracy. If you look through it, drugs knows no socioeconomic boundaries. Uh, you can be a millionaire, where you can be destitute and still overdose on drugs or, or have domestic violence uh, involved in your homes and in your communities. So I feel that, you know, the HIDA program is $285 million nationwide. Again, all those, you know, 50 states and hundreds of counties. And it's great to have the $285 million, but we can do so much more um, because we do have the collaborative approach. It's true. Thank you. Now, Jake, I know Jake who called in this question, and he's a wonderful, smart, intelligent man. And um, and I want to point out to the many things you do besides, um, you know, getting people in, in jail from breaking the law. And uh, I've seen some of that, right? You've your marijuana report, uh, giving money to doctors for safe prescribing, work in prevention. Can you highlight some of those um, many projects that you're involved with that that uh, go w way beyond with, um, you know, fighting crime on the street? Yeah, you know, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. So we have a human trafficking task force. Uh, we're the only HIDA of the 33 high intensity drug trafficking areas in the nation that has a human trafficking task force. Uh, that task force works with non-governmental organizations uh, to, to get the girls off the streets because they realize you can't arrest your way through it. Uh, we work with North County Lifeline. So that's just one aspect of, of when people see that you have human trafficking, you don't realize all the victimization that goes on. Um, we work with the San Diego County Meth Strike Force. So the Meth Strike Force is comprised of a lot of treatment providers, uh, the medical community, the business community here in San Diego. Uh, we've been a part of that. The San Diego Imperial Haida has been a part of the San Diego County Meth Strike Force for 25 years. Uh, we've also been a part of the uh, Prescription Drug Abuse Task Force, more recently formed PDATF here uh, in San Diego County, working again with all of our resources that we have in our community members, parents, teachers, educators, uh, business members, doctors, uh, prevention specialists, 
to, to overcome some of the problems that we see with uh, prescription drug abuse. We publish uh, a threat assessment uh, on an annual basis. That threat assessment goes back to the Office of National Drug Control Policy. And what it allows us to do, the unique thing about the high intensity drug trafficking areas is that the federal money comes in and in San Diego County and Imperial County, I have an $11.8 million budget, uh, mostly to provide personnel for task forces, um, but also for prevention efforts as well that we've discussed. But uh, that money is able to be analyzed and allocated to the resources that we see fit in our county. So. My executive board is controlled by 18 federal, state, and local law enforcement and prosecutorial chiefs, sheriff's departments, DAs, U.S. attorneys. But we're able to look collaboratively at how we want to approach um, law enforcement and prevention in our particular HIDA. So we do a lot of things outside of the box other than just traditional law enforcement. But I have to say that being in the number one drug transshipment point in the United States of America. The San Ysidro Port of Entry is the largest land border crossing in the world. And as such, uh, provides access through the transnational criminal organizations to bring massive amounts of methamphetamine, heroin, cocaine, and marijuana. So we do have a lot of resources dedicated to stopping that because if we don't stop it at the Southwest border, I can stop one vehicle and have a hundred pounds of meth. The further that gets away from the Southwest border, the more it turns to a pound or two, turns to ounces and grams, which ultimately go into our communities and causes the devastation that it does. Yeah. Um, you also, I did a press conference releasing the um, marijuana report. That was a great success. So uh, biennially, every two years, the four California HIDAs get together. This is our third report. So we did it in 16, 18, and 20. Uh, the marijuana report is, is fact-based. So there are over 40 different uh, agencies that contribute data. So you have the National Institute of Drug Abuse, you have SAMHSA, California Highway Patrol, California Healthy Kids, otherwise known as Chicks, which contribute data to juvenile use uh, as far as marijuana is concerned, vaping, uh, drug driving. And, and what we try to do is eliminate uh, our opinion because whatever side you are, on as far as the legalization of marijuana. Prop 64 in California uh, passed in November of 2016, enacted into law January 1 of 2018, states clearly that individuals 21 years of age or older are legally able to possess one ounce of marijuana or six plants for recreational use. So almost at the two year anniversary, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks for the implementation of Prop 64, we have our marijuana impact report. And uh, the San Diego Association of Governments, uh, the San Diego Marijuana Prevention Institute, a 501c3 that works uh, with a lot of community organizations has been instrumental in helping us get the word out. And so then what is the impact since legalization in, in California? Very concerning. Uh, as far as law enforcement's concerned, uh, Prop 64 was billed to keep uh, children uh, from access to marijuana. It has been anything but. Uh, the 
probably you and I share the same viewpoint as far as a, a physician's concern that uh, we have California has the most admissions for 12 to 17 year olds uh, for treatment for addiction uh, to marijuana, as, as well as the report highlights the fact that THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, um, used to be two to three percent THC uh, 20 years ago. You know what we say is mom and pop marijuana. Uh, this now on average is about 16 percent THC. And in our concentrated cannabis, what we call butane honey oil, marijuana extract, uh, it's up to 90%. So you're seeing uh, an increase in drug driving arrests in the state of California. And what I thought was particularly interesting was that in 2019, uh, our numbers were high, there were over 4,000, but it looks like 2020 is going to eclipse 2019 as far as drug driving arrests. And that includes marijuana, methamphetamine, cocaine, and heroin, uh, prescription drugs as well. But 2020, uh, largely starting in March, was a year, obviously, the pandemic. And there were far fewer people driving on the roads for the majority of 2020. Yet we're seeing increased drug driving accidents. So between uh, the black market thriving, a pound of marijuana can sell in California for up to three to four thousand dollars a pound. By comparison, methamphetamine on the wholesale market sells for fifteen to twenty five hundred dollars a pound. So a pound of high grade marijuana is selling more than a pound of methamphetamine. And that's extremely uh, disconcerting. And we're seeing massive seizures at the ports of entry of marijuana in ton quantities because the transnational criminal organizations see an opportunity in the state of California with the increased users. And ironically, 75% of all the marijuana cultivated in the state of California is exported to other states. Yeah. You know, they say follow the money, but I, I follow the health. And I, uh, what this has done is just increase business in the emergency department with um with every single shift, I take care of marijuana um, poisonings. And the concern is that there's not the balance of uh, medical information on adverse effects. And people are just hearing how good it is for everything without hearing um, the side effects and contraindications and drug interactions. Um, so thank you so much, um, uh, Dave and Haida, for, for publishing this important report. Uh, marijuana impact report so people can start getting that data and information to make informed decisions. And you also sponsor um, a conference every other year, uh, Western Opioid and Marijuana Summit. Um, and there's a whole new section that you started on prevention. People, I don't think, realize that it's not, Haida's not just law enforcement, but you do a lot of work in prevention. Can you tell us some of the pr prevention projects that you're leading? Well, you know, we're proud to be a part of drug-free communities. Um, under Director Carroll's leadership, uh, drug-free communities provide money to 501c3s, not-for-profit organizations um, that are combating drug abuse, drug usage, all sorts of things in the community. And uh, a year and a half ago, Imperial County, the uh, Imperial County Sheriff's Office, Sheriff's Acti Activity League, was a recipient of a uh, drug-free community grant. So it's $185,000 a year for 10 years 
So one point, uh, close to $1.9 million that go into the community to allow the sheriff's department to hire full-time drug-free community specialists to put on events. So we do what's called a drugstore. Uh, the drugstore is for seventh and eighth graders in Imperial County. At one time, San Diego County had a robust program where uh, kids or middle schoolers are brought in and they can see how someone uh, abuses drugs through a party scene, they overdose, uh, then they, they come close to dying, they get involved in the criminal justice system, and ultimately uh, it can lead to, to death. And so that program is great because we bring about 2,500 students in Imperial County through that. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, they didn't do it this year. But um, that's just some of the things that we do as far as supporting the overdose response strategy. Uh, we're going to be hiring a drug intelligence officer in the San Diego Imperial Haida coming up in January, which will be a link between drug seizures and law enforcement, but also to the medical community. Um, so it's very important to try to get a program called ODMAP, Overdose Death Mapping Application Program, uh, which aids law enforcement, but more importantly, helps medical providers such as yourself when you have overdose clusters to be able to predict and alleviate where you're gonna have future overdoses. So between our drug-free communities, uh, we have Amy Hendel, uh, who's been a long time uh, public servant champion for the cause. Shout uh, out to Amy. Shout out to Amy <laughs> and Alma Babcock as well. She's our program analyst. So they work full-time in our Haida and they do nothing but prevention uh, education and awareness and working with the different groups. That's great. That it's, it's so important because um, we've seen that when we break those silos between public health, public safety and prevention, we, we save more lives. And um, that's another project that we have proud to have in San Diego Credo Community Response to Drug Overdose, where we're doing exactly that. It's breaking um, those silos. Um, you know, when I was reading your bio, it was interesting to see that you were dealing with a clandestine lab. That sounds like, you know, something out of Breaking Bad. Can you tell us what that is and how many clandestine labs are out there and what they're doing? Well, I will say this. Uh, when I started with the California Department of Justice, uh, at that time, it was the Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement. It was November of 1997. Uh, in the late 80s, early 90s through the mid 90s, San Diego County was a methamphetamine manufacturing capital of the world. It was not uncommon in San Diego County to have hundreds of methamphetamine labs a year. So we're talking about uh, mixing uh, red phosphorus and hydrous ammonia, um, obviously your pseudoephedrine, pool cleaner, all sorts of things, and making methamphetamine. So everybody was making methamphetamine in home labs uh, in late 80s and through the mid 90s, late 90s here in California, until the San Diego County Meth Strike Force was successful in getting uh, pseudoephedrine behind the counter. So the Combat Meth Act uh, nationally, you can no longer buy pseudoephedrine. It's as a result of a community collaboration in San Diego, really pushing our lawmakers uh, to make that a law that you have to show a driver's license and they restrict the amount of sales. So back in the day when it was like wide open, 
we would uh, follow individuals who were smurfing. And smurfing is the term for people who buy pseudoephedrine pills legally and then combine them and put denatured alcohol in them and extract the ephedrine. They would then take that extracted uh, ephedrine to labs and we would follow them all over the state of California. So I have literally been to every nook and cranny in this, in this beautiful state uh, and worked with all sorts of federal, state and local law enforcement agencies from uh, San Ysidro to Eureka. And I just went to Walmart and tried to buy a Sudafed for my uh, allergies and, uh, you know, and it rings, bing, 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 no more than one show your driver's license. So <laughs> you can thank us for that. <laughs> right. Um, and we're, you know, we really now have a horrible problem with fentanyl. It's, it's hit us personally. We're just a few grains of salt. That's all it takes to, to kill somebody. And our, our deaths have doubled. And you wonder why, why does it make sense for a drug dealer to, to kill off their customers? Well, it doesn't make any sense, but what we're finding out is that a lot of drugs are cut with fentanyl. Like you said before, everything that we talk about as far as drug trafficking is concerned it's about the money. When we say it's not about the money, it really is about the money. So they increase their profit because fentanyl is relatively inexpensive. Uh, it's produced in, in labs legally uh, in China and India, and then uh, imported here into the, uh, into the United States illegally. And so what you see is, I mean, there's obviously a medical use for fentanyl, for fentanyl patches, for people that have, you know, cancer and extreme pain. So there is an accepted medical use for it, but we're talking about the, the illegitimate uses for that. And um, it increases the profit margin. And what you find out is that some people, when you bring them through Narcan, you have to hit them three, four times with naloxone and Narcan, they're upset because it ruined their high. And, and that's extremely disconcerting to, to law enforcement, fire, and EMS personnel. So when you say it's a good, it's a, their business model, if they kill a few people, it's still a good business model overall for them to sell drugs? It's, it's all about the high, Dr. Lev. And you, you talk to these users, and as close, that the, as close as they can get to the point of, of almost overdosing, uh, the more they want it. And you have text messages. You know, our Haida, if I digress, is, is unique in that we're one of the few that also has an overdose response team. So anybody that overdoses and dies here in San Diego County, uh, we have what's called Team 10 out of the DEA San Diego Integrated Narcotics Task Force, uh, which started three years ago uh, as really the brainchild of the district attorney's office. Uh, combining the U.S. attorney. So every overdose death is investigated like a homicide. And they'll get text messages after they get a search warrant for the decedent's phone that will actually show the drug dealers telling the decedent, hey, be careful. It's really hot. Uh, it's really powerful. And yet uh, the individuals, because they're supporting an addiction, uh, take it knowingly, knowing that it has fentanyl in it. But unfortunately, a lot of people in San Diego County are overdosing and dying because they don't know 
that it has fentanyl in it. And you can't, you can, you can't take cocaine by looks or you can't take methamphetamine by looks and see that there's fentanyl in there because like you said, it's microgram quantities. So that is a grain of salt is all that it takes for an individual to overdose and die. And a shout out to Team 10. They will be featured on High Truths as well. I'm looking forward to that episode. And I think what makes fentanyl so different is there are people who are, are not necessarily addicted to drugs, who are just experimenting or think they're having you know a good time partying and drop dead. And I think that that's been a real game changer for, um, for that drug. Well, it's huge. And, you know, it's as far as methamphetamine, that problem pretty much started on the West Coast and made its way east. Uh, as far as opioid abuse, um, that has you know, gone from east to west. Um, Can you explain year, that? Why why is the different movement for meth and, and for opiates? Well, I mean, so they used to call Oxycontin hillbilly heroin because it started in West Virginia, Tennessee, Appalachia. Uh, a lot of folks were getting addicted. You saw, you know, on in 60 Minutes that uh, DEA was investigating some towns where every person in small towns in West Virginia and Appalachia uh, would have had up to 100 tablets of OxyContin in a year, which is absolutely astronomical. So we saw, we see that progressing from East to West, whereas methamphetamine was primarily a Southwest border drug, San Diego, Phoenix, uh, and it's now making its way across the Northeast. Uh, replacing cocaine in a lot of markets. So between uh, opioid abuse heading east and stimulant abuse, amphetamines, methamphetamine uh, heading to the east, uh, it's, it's causing a lot of problems. And particularly here in San Diego County, our overdose deaths as a result of, of opioids uh, and methamphetamine as well has gone up exponentially in the last two years. So we are now in the throes. It's kind of like as the pandemic spread around, you could see areas getting red hot. San Diego County, uh, unfortunately, is one of those areas where we've had a, over a 200% increase in uh, overdose deaths. It, it is very sad and it's sombering data, but I do want to point out one good thing is the the deaths from prescriptions and, and opioids has gone down. And I, I don't think we have an opioid prescription um, problem anymore. And I, I just want to give kudos to the medical community for really taking that on. I do. I think, you know what, like I said, we're all in this together um, and, and we learn from it. I mean, I think the medical community uh, has done a wonderful job in analyzing uh, their prescribing practices. Uh, we do also have a, a, a pharmaceutical prescription drug abuse task force uh, that goes after what's called doctor shoppers, people that will go to pain management clinics and hit up other doctors. I think uh, some arrests for doctors in the Southland that were just egregiously over-prescribing Schedule II uh, narcotics to people. I think that sent a message to the medical community uh, as well, that there is a responsibility that everybody has, and we're all in this together.
Yeah, I think that that message went uh, loud and clear, sometimes uh, maybe even a little too loud when people are afraid to prescribe when they really need to. Uh, I, I call it Goldilocks prescribing, right? Not too much, not too little. It has to be mm-hmm. uh, just right. The silver lining in all this is the medical community is now engaged. Um, you know, before the opioid epidemic, you know, if you had an addiction, you had addictions, you'd, you know, go somewhere else, not to the medical community. But but because of that, we're now engaged with other solutions when it comes to fentanyl or methamphetamine or really anything in, in, in partnering um, with you. Um, when, when you. When there is a drug bust, do you find just opioids or just meth or cocaine or marijuana or things mixed up like in patients that I take care of? They're not just taking one drug. They're taking a, a bunch of things. Well, as far as the trafficking is concerned, what we have what's called combo loads. And I, and I think our geographic region, and we're talking about Southern California. So um, as drugs come up from Mexico, they're stockpiled in either Tijuana or Mexicali. Both are just south of Calexico and San Diego, respectively. And the drugs then make their way across the ports of entry, primarily in passenger vehicles with secret compartments. Um, Several years ago, it was pretty uncommon to see other than either a meth load or a coke load or a heroin load. So they didn't do a lot of combo loads. In the last couple of years, we're seeing that they are doing combo loads. So very common now to see 50, 60 pounds of meth, probably five to 10 pounds of fentanyl, uh, as well as maybe 20, 30 pounds of heroin in one vehicle concealed in gas tank loads, concealed in tires, um, concealed in quarter panels of vehicles, under seats. Uh, If you've ever been out with an interdiction team, it's extremely interesting because um, there isn't a nook and cranny in the car that a drug trafficker doesn't try to secrete their, their load, but that these teams don't know how to go in. First of all, they're fighting the dog and they're fighting other technology, which we're prohibited from talking about um, in a public setting. But know this, that our Customs and Border Protection, Homeland Security Investigations, DEA, your other state and local agencies are employing every investigative tool necessary to try to detect those loads and to not only just stop those loads at the port of entry, which in and of itself would be a success, but to take those loads and to further investigate who controls them, who brings them into the country, who's responsible for the uh, hierarchy of the drug trafficking organization and where does the money go? And when you talk about money, you know, um, when I was up in LA, I was the director of LA Impact, which is the largest narcotic task force agency uh, in the country. There were 50 agencies involved. And one of my favorite cases Uh, was the long-term investigation in the garment district. So they launder money through legitimate businesses. It's called a black market peso exchange where drug money is brought into a business. Uh, This time it was in the garment district where they uh, manufacture clothing uh, and then put a U.S. label on it, ship it to Mexico. It is sold in Mexico and turned into pesos and the cartel collects their profit. We had a three-year undercover operation where we had to tie in these legitimate businesses, you see them on the streets, with illegitimate 
currency flowing into the business. And one of the best days of my career was uh, when we seized over $100 million in bulk cash in one day. It was the largest ever seizure in the history of the United States as, as far as currency is concerned. And the Treasury Department is over 200 years old. And we literally had thousands of law enforcement personnel on the street that day. But it's extremely rewarding because you just saw the greed that went into uh, these these drug traffickers. They didn't care where they were pushing their product. They didn't care who they were hurting, what lives they were destroying. They wanted their profit. And we were able to take it away from them and take their businesses, their Ferraris, their condos overlooking the ocean, all ill-gotten gains. And if that's the message that I wanna you know, put out to anybody that listens is that Drug trafficking is all about the profits for a few, and they use the the addicts and the and the users and the people that traffic them for their gain. And it's great when we can what we call cut off the head of the snake instead of the tail. Yeah, thank you for that um, amazing amount of work that you do. But I, I also think that your work and partnership in law enforcement makes me a better emergency and addiction doctor. Um, you're able to tell me the emerging tr trends of what's out there without that information. I, you know, it would, would take me longer to figure things out in the emergency department. So that's critical communication. Um, keep me safe. I think we call, I call 911 maybe four, five times a month from our emergency department for our personal safety. And then, you know, getting rid of that supply is the ultimate prevention. I mean, there's a supply and demand, but removing the supply is very helpful. I make the analogy with infectious disease. We get rid of the bad romaine lettuce when it's bad. We do contact tracing for that to get rid of it. And we need to do the same thing when it comes to uh, drugs and overdoses. So uh, I very much um, appreciate that, that partnership and the collaboration. Um, what are the goals 2021 for, for Haida? I am personally going to see the uh, implementation of OD map coming into San Diego County. Uh, Los Angeles County has the overdose death mapping application program. Uh, it doesn't cost us anything. The Washington, Baltimore, Haida created it. Uh, I think it's a great tool for law enforcement, public health, public safety. Um, Prevention. In our, yeah, in okay. our area, I, it's, a little frustrating that we haven't uh, implemented it sooner, but uh, be that as it may, everybody approaches things cautiously. There's no HIPAA concerns. Uh, it's pretty much, I want to say it's in over 40 states. Uh, by the end of next year, it'll probably be in all 50 states. So that's a goal of mine. Um, we're also looking at the dark web uh, as far as drug trafficking is concerned. Uh, a lot of that has turned to cryptocurrency, uh, the postal inspectors are, and Homeland Security, DEA, are all investigating the dark web as a means of distributing deadly drugs. So your fentanyl, your Schedule 2s, cocaine, heroin, uh, a lot of folks uh, exist simply by putting things in the parcel and mail and utilizing uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, uh, to do their exchange. So hopefully... Uh, we're going to have some investigations leading in that direction, uh, again, for this HIDA uh, to be innovative. And then also strengthening our partnerships with the 
the meth strike force, prescription drug abuse task force, collaboration, um, CATFI, Californians for a Drug for Youth, uh, just hired uh, an additional admin assistant and a deputy director was promoted. So we're, we're looking to strengthen what we have and increase our prevention footprint here in San Diego. Because unfortunately, during budget cuts of 2008 that persisted into the uh, recession, we saw a lot of school resources uh, become scarce. So when police departments uh, and they always face this very real threat uh, as far as funding uh, is concerned. But police departments, their, their priority is answering 911 radio calls uh, and, and traffic enforcement and all those things. A lot of school resource officers were pulled back. I see an opportunity in San Diego and Imperial County with our drug-free communities, with the Californians for Drug-Free Youth, to have an increased presence back in the school uh, to work with parents, teachers, and educators, uh, to educate them, just like we're talking about on High Truths, uh, as far as the drugs of abuse in a community and how to recognize the uh, objective symptomology of their loved ones under the influence of it. When I was with the San Diego Harbor Police, I was pretty lucky I was in the Narcotics Task Force from 1992 to 1994. And I took a lot of California Narcotics Officers Association courses. After a while, uh, you become recognized as a court expert and you testify. I was asked to teach court interpreters uh, all the drugs of abuse on the street and why they did that, because it's extremely important when someone's interpreting uh, for their clients or they're doing uh, court typing for them to have seen what a bong is, as opposed to just hear about a bong. So I was really uh, integral in those in those education components and i have a love for getting out in the community and spreading the word that's great and you're good at it um do you have a final advice for for jake hardison who who called us with the question jake i appreciate your support law enforcement is always going to be there for you um sometimes we always we say this in law enforcement that um when a family has problems um, when there's addiction and there's violence, sometimes separating that individual from that environment by arrest is, uh, and incarceration uh, can allow the family to heal, can allow the community to heal, but it also allows the individual that is arrested to heal. So we're all about taking the drugs off the street, uh, punishing those offenders that are bringing into the community what would be no different. I think they're bringing in hand grenades to the community and causing irreparable harm, punishing those individuals, but also while those individuals are incarcerated, getting them counseling, getting them treatment. A lot of individuals, uh, when they go to prison, uh, end up getting GEDs, they end up uh, graduating, and they're put into job placement programs. So there's a lot more that goes into it than just arresting an individual. Uh, law enforcement always appreciates the overwhelming support that we have for the community, uh, and we'll continue to be there to serve. The HIDA program, your federal, state, and local law enforcement, and remember all the investigators and EMS personnel that are not in uniform that also go out uh, every day and risk their lives to protect the public. And and 
Thank you for that, uh, Dave. And and Jake, I thank you for your question and for the uh, opportunity to have a dialogue and bring up issues like this that may be concerning. And and looking at law enforcement, I, I see them as my kids because they tend to be young kids of my, my kids' age, and they have the same um, problems, issues as you and I do. So they have kids who struggle with addiction. They have family members um, um, who have issues. They go to the same school and community and shop at the same stores. Um, I thank them for keeping us uh, safe and, and for putting their lives on, on the line for our safety. Um, and I can continue to encourage uh, dialogue and support. Well, thank you, Dr. Lev. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR, Center for Community Research in San Diego, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. We want to hear from you. Post a comment or email us about one thing you learned from this program. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us a five-star review. And subscribe so you won't miss any of our information-packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions, and I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.